2: From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Last year, the fires were bad. We all remember the red, darkened skies. So you'd think that the state of California would be doing absolutely everything to reduce the risk of a bad 2021 fire season. Unfortunately, a recent investigation found that Governor Gavin Newsom's team has not cleared as many acres as the governor has claimed. We'll discuss why. And later in the hour, we'll be talking about the desperate measures that conservationists are planning to save endangered salmon. And it involves trucks. Lots of trucks of fish. That's all next on Forum, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Fuel breaks and prescribed burns are some of the tools used by firefighters to help reduce the severity of wildfires. California Governor Gavin Newsom was recently criticized for overstating his track record when it comes to wildfire prevention. The state has now set aside an additional $500 million for wildfire prevention. But will it be enough? And can the state even figure out how to spend it? As we head towards peak fire season this fall, we'll get the latest science around wildfire prevention and hear what the state's doing to try to prevent the worst from happening. We're joined by Danielle Venton, reporter here at KQED Science. Welcome to the show, Danielle.
1: Good morning.
2: And Michael Wara, director of the Climate and Energy Policy Program at Stanford University's Woods Institute for the Environment. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Danielle, let's get right to the controversial part. CAP Radio and NPR's California Newsroom followed up on Governor uh, Governor Newsom's claims about the scale of wildfire prevention. Um, that his administration has undertaken. Can you just kind of walk me through this and what the investigation found?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Let me give you a little bit of history. As soon as Governor Newsom came into office in January 2019, he announced that the state's approach to preventing fire would have this big overhaul. He announced these 35 priority projects for fire prevention and an executive order to do the work really quickly. It was supposed to be done across 90,000 acres, but this investigation that you mentioned uh, last month found that the number of acres actually treated with fuel breaks and mechanical thinning or prescribed fire was far, far less than that, about 11,400, which is like more than 600% less than, than yeah. was stated. Now, it seems what was behind that was that CAL FIRE didn't do a good job of explaining to the governor how those acres were being counted they were treating these small sections or strips in these larger parcels that were initially proposed. So it would be sort of like saying, oh, I cleaned the house when maybe you just cleaned the counters.
3: Hmm.
1: Um, In the current budget, there is a lot of money for wildfire prevention, but that's bounced around quite a bit in recent months.
2: Yeah. Is it fair, though, to say that what if it was sort of like clearing the brush around your house? You'd consider your whole house to be defended, right? I mean, is it, is Cal Fire's way of counting these acres and the governor's, are they, are they fair?
1: It came across as misleading. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, What's happened since that report came out?
1: Yeah. So, um, so in the initial uh, proposed budget, um, Newsom had set aside a billion dollars for wildfire prevention, which is a lot more than has ever been uh, dedicated. But in late June, more Cap Radio and California newsroom reporting found that the budget deal had about half of that. It seems that part of that reason was because Cal Fire felt like it wasn't ready for that much money. There weren't enough fire prevention projects ready to go. Uh, But early this month after that reporting, there was 500 million put back into the fire prevention budget. It's not readily available necessarily, but it can be spent if lawmakers and the governor sign off on it. Now, you know, what does this all mean? I mean, it means that despite kind of wanting to do more fire prevention work, fire prevention agencies like Cal Fire find it really hard. There's a lot of reasons for that, um, but it just points to how difficult it's going to be to get enough good fire on the ground to have the kind of results that we want to see, like preventing catastrophic fires.
2: Michael, I want to invite you into the conversation. Um, We are talking about right now, you know, these things that are on the scale of tens of thousands uh, of acres where wildfire prevention action has been taken. What's the scale of the problem in the state of California?
4: Well, I think you know, the the one thing to to understand about the scale of the problem is that it really goes back to the origins of California as a state. This is a very long-term problem. Native Americans used to burn the landscape actively and that created a lot of safety and ecosystem health. And one of the ways that we forcibly removed and controlled and colonized um, Native peoples in California was to prevent them from lighting fires. That over a century or more has led to buildup of fuels, and as Gavin Newsom entered office, you know the state was only just beginning to kind of grapple with that reality and make the kinds of changes that are really cultural changes as much as kind of changes in the way that government operates to
2: to make progress. What do you what do you mean by that? What kind of cultural changes?
4: Well, um, I mean that we all have to get. You know, uh, Danielle just very articulately said, we need to get good fire on the ground. I think many of us look at wildfire or any fire in, a, in, a, in an ecosystem as dangerous or bad or creating bad outcomes. And the reality is in California that all of our ecosystems are evolved to burn. And what we need to do is figure out how to allow them to burn in a way that is safe, And that doesn't create unacceptable impacts for the 40 million people that now live in our state. But for the last 100 years, we've developed government institutions that are all about putting out fire. CAL FIRE, in particular, is obliged by law to put out all fires. So getting an agency like that that's in its core and its core identity is all about fighting fire and putting fires out to think in a big way about lighting acceptable good fires and not just putting fires out um, in an, on an emergency basis is a big sh- is a big shift and a huge challenge. And I th- I would say that you know while certainly the reporting is of course accurate, I, I think it the, the broader context is one in which California and the the institutions that govern fire in California are in the midst of kind of a titanic shift, and it's one that we all need to support. But it's also one where we need to be keep pushing. And I'm be, I'll be the first to push. I think we need to be burning a million acres a year and we need to hold Cal Fire and the U.S. Forest Service to account to make sure that happens. But it's, it's, it's something that's going to take time. It's going to take years of, of change. And it's not just change in the government, it's change in people who learn to understand that some smoke is okay because it means that we won't be afraid when the wind blows from the inland, um, you know, from the east in September and it's hot.
1: And Alexis, if I can jump sure. in. Sure, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that's a really important point. That it is, it is. this fire, California's relationship with fire is not just about our elected leaders and our agencies doing more, although I think they do need to do more. It's also about the public ex- acceptance of more prescribed fire. One of the reasons that a lot of fires are held prescribed fires are held up or concerns about air quality Mm -hmm. some of those are very justified but uh, people complaining that there's a little bit of smoke in the air uh, can prevent you know good fire from getting on the ground and there needs to be a cultural shift to kind of expect that there might be there might be a little more fire in the air from prescribed fires and is that an an acceptable good trade-off uh, so, compared to weeks yeah. of, of very bad fire, very bad fire smoke, I mean.
2: I'm sure I'm not alone in this, that I actually find this hard to swallow, um, in part because we're actually kind of shifting the burdens in some ways, right, from where the, uh, where the fuels are, where prescribed burdens are happening, to wherever the winds are blowing, right? Um, so what is an acceptable level of air quality decrease um, in order to get good fire on the ground?
1: That's a hard question and that's something we need to grapple with Um, but if you look back in the historic record, our forests looked sort of like this well-pruned orchard and the sky was not crystal clear and blue uh, all the year round. There was often this kind of background level of haze Hmm. so the you know it's hard to it's hard to say exactly where that right trade-off is but not, uh, not finding no smoke in the air acceptable is just going to bring us, you know, more more days like we had last year of, of incredibly po- heavy polluting wildfire smoke.
2: We're talking about what the state is doing to ramp up wildfire prevention efforts with Daniel Venton, a reporter here at KQED Science, and Michael Wara, director of the Climate and Energy Policy Program at Stanford's Woods Institute for the Environment. What are your questions about wildfire mitigation? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. Of course, we're at KQED Forum. Um, Michael Warr, you've argued against the publication of the stat of Acres Burned, which is sort of the way that lots of people kind of track. Was it a good wildfire year? Was it a bad wildfire year? Why why, uh, give up publishing that stat?
4: I think it's fundamentally misleading. You know, the reason that we care about, the reason you're having this show today is because of the impacts on people and on communities of the terrible wildfires that we've been through over the last five years as a state. And that really is just not connected in meaningful ways with acres burned. The Tubbs fire, the fire that burned down Coffee Park in Santa Rosa, was a small fire in terms of acres burned. The campfire, The fire that burned down Paradise was a relatively small fire in terms of acres burned. And we, I think as a state, need to be focusing much more on people and on homes and communities and creating safety for, for, for for the citizens of California more than on metrics that were really developed in an era when wildfire was a part of forestry and forestry was mostly about timber management and timber harvest. And, you know, this is part of the cultural change, right? The agencies, and I would, I would really actually focus on the Forest Service here more than CAL FIRE, but the agencies at the state and federal level really need to rethink their approach and their priorities when it comes to fire management and, and figure out, and, and I would be the first to defer to them on this, but figure out new metrics that help the public to understand when a fire is actually a good fire and some wildfires can be good fires you know less intense less catastrophic wildfires are good for ecosystems they can be good for people when they occur you know in places that don't threaten communities that don't create unacceptable smoke impacts and we need to start building a new language and and public communication and the agencies really have to lead this um a, around wildfire if we're going to adapt to the changes in fire that climate change is really creating
2: are there any the particular stats just like homes burned that we should be using instead
4: well yeah i think i think homes burned is a, is a really good metric I think we need to be thinking about how to develop statistics and and Stanford researchers like Marshall Burke have been working on this statistics that are sort of real time about smoke impacts and population level, you know, Mm -hmm. public health impacts from smoke. Um, I think we should be focused in terms of our prevention in in not just thinking about acres burned, but also thinking about um, community protection and the degree to which communities are protected. Mm -hmm.
2: We're talking about what the state's doing to ramp up wildfire prevention efforts with Danielle Venton, reported with KQED Science, and Michael Wara of Stanford's Climate and Energy Policy Program. We'll be back with more Forum after the break. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the state's wildfire prevention efforts with Danielle Venton, reporter at KQED Science, and Michael Wara, director of the Climate and Energy Policy Program at Stanford's Woods Institute for the Environment. You know, before the break, we were talking about changing the culture of fire uh, here in California, and noting that in the sort of long sweep of human habitation of this area, fire has oftentimes been used um, to benefit the land clearing out fuels. But we also know that the climate is changing here in the state. And Michael Wara, I I wonder, does climate change introduce a variable into this that actually makes it harder to use fire uh, in the ways that the indigenous people of California used it in a beneficial way?
4: Absolutely. You know, the folks that are expert prescribed fire practitioners and cultural burners will talk about how the burn windows, which are the times when it's safe and effective to use prescribed fire, are getting shorter and narrower. And that that means that the situation for the state is more challenging because we need to get more work done in a shorter window, but the work is constrained by the need to not create the unacceptable smoke impacts that Danielle was just discussing. Um, but I, I think we're so far away from the, the, the constraint being climate change, you know, that the real constraints mm-hmm. are workforce, you know, the, and, and a commitment to to sort of sustainable funding um, and, and a trained workforce that can use that money effectively to, to, to put good fire on the ground. Yeah. And the state is making progress. The federal government needs to do much more. And it's important for, for listeners to understand that the feds own 57% of the forest in California. So if they don't act, we are not protected.
2: Yeah. Um, Danielle, uh, you mentioned this earlier, and Michael Ward just alluded to it as well, which is the workforce uh, aspects of this. Why is the workforce for wildfire mitigation a kind of difficult thing to, uh, to piece together?
1: So often the people who are setting prescribed fires are also firefighters. And when the priority of firefighting agencies like the U.S. Forest Service or CAL FIRE is to suppress fires, to put fires out, those that equipment, those, uh, those workers, they need to be available to, to fight fires if they break out. And we have this huge fire season now in California. You know, we, we're seeing really big fires until into November, into December, fires are starting earlier and earlier. So you can't uh, set aside people and equipment for a prescribed fire, if your priority is to keep an eye on other wildfires in the state or to, uh, on fires in the state or to, you know, be available in case, um, in case fires get bad. Uh, you just, you know, you can't have people in two places at one time. And if the priority is putting out fires, then it's, that's kind of a structural problem that needs to be addressed in how we do prescribed fires.
2: Does it make sense then, Michael Wara, to have a dedicated workforce for wildfire mitigation? And is the money and sort of in legislative infrastructure in place to do that?
4: Well, I think, I think it does make sense. And it is the direction that California is starting to move. But the, the tension there, right, is that when when there is a wildfire burning, it's very hard to, to resist the temptation to take skilled uh, people, people that are skilled with you know, kind of wildfire and put them on the fire line, constructing, constructing line and 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 helping to prevent catastrophes. Um and, and that temptation is is one that you know is is just it's it's very hard to resist. And so I think we do need to create. Institutional structures that prevent that and that recognize that, you know, even during wildfire season, for example, there can be places and, and good, good opportunities to use prescribed fire. And we need to be trying to use those opportunities when they arise and not kind of stripping away resources to, 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 to fight the emergency um, that you know, I've I've sort of compared it to a forever war, right? We're not gonna we're not gonna firefight our way out of the problems that California faces. We need to have a different approach, and uh, and the approach means targeting resources no matter what at risk reduction. Yeah,
2: let's bring in um, Johnny from Oakland, California. Welcome to the show.
5: Yeah, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm a retired forester and prescribed fire manager. For uh, a number of federal, a uh, number of governmental agencies. Uh-huh. I just wanted to mention two things. Right now, uh, I'm retired, so I can say this, but we've basically been tapping the low hanging fruit when it comes to prescribed fire. In other words, a lot of the prescribed burning I've been seeing and what I conducted myself were in very easy, flat, grass areas. That's not where the issues of wildfire really are. They're in the foothills and in the coniferous forests of the Sierra Nevada. So we've just been, hang- doing a, we've just been burning a lot of low-hanging fruit. Huh. second comment I want to make is I personally uh, received two citations by the Air Quality District of the Bay Area uh, for Kentucky prescribed burns that were performed uh, to the plan legitimately, but the smoke wafted over to the Golden Gate Bridge in one case. And in another case, the smoke wafted over to some areas in Marin County. Uh, they were reported by citizens. And my agency and my name were personally cited uh, using the citation. Mm. So it makes me or a prescribed fire manager reluctant to do prescribed burning under conditions that people may not I mean, not late. Right. When you don't have
2: full control over the sort of um, the, the outcomes for you personally. Yeah. Um, Michael Wara, um, really interesting to hear from Johnny about his experience doing prescribed burns. Um, what's your reaction to um, both both of his experiences? Johnny is raising such
4: good points. So one of the things that I've emphasized is that we need to do much better targeting and part of the accountability, you know just as we're we're worrying I've said that acres burned is not a good metric for wildfire. It's a terrible metric for prescribed fire. We need to be focusing on making sure, that the prescribed fire that we use, that we can do, is being done in the places where it provides the most benefits—benefits benefits to people, benefits to ecosystems—and I totally agree that you know that there there's a lot to be um, there, there there's there's a lot of work still to do there for the state and also for the federal government, yeah. and we should be using the same tools that the home insurers are using to evaluate risk, right? Models that that evaluate that in a very sophisticated way. Now, on the other point that Johnny made, I, I think the state has made a lot of progress there. The air agencies in particular have really done an about face since October 2017 and are much more supportive of fire than they used to be. Um, but I think the incentive structure within the agencies is still one that needs to be addressed, right? People, you don't, you don't, you don't become a prescribed fire practitioner within the Forest Service to get promoted to be the chief, right? You go into fire aviation. And we need to make successful outcomes in prescribed fire a career path to success for folks that want to devote their lives to working in um, in wildlands and forested lands. Yeah.
2: Let's bring in um, Janet from Santa Rosa. Hello. Hi. Hi, Janet. We can hear you.
3: Hey, thanks for taking my call. I'm hoping that I don't lose you. Um, so I'm, I live in Santa Rosa. I lost my home in the Tubbs Fire 2017. Um, I have a couple of comments. One is that prescribed fires do not pollute the air with toxins like burning homes do. So um, I, I believe that, that the per- prescribed burns and the control of, of the fuels in the wildland areas is much preferable to allowing wildfires to burn into our communities. Um, and then my second comment was that um, I, in Sonoma County we are one of the uh, most parcelized counties in the state of California which means that many of the much of the land is owned by uh, private landowners who have small parcels under a hundred acres um, so controlling the fuels in our rural communities is um, part of the piece of mitigating wildfire risk, and I believe that we need, and I think our um, senator is working on this, we need incentives and financial help for um, landowners to be able to do the um, mitigation of fuels on their properties in order for this whole process to be effective. Yeah.
2: Janet, I'm sorry to hear about your house. I mean, that I'm sure has been very difficult, and I want to ask Danielle, um, to talk about the smoke from prescribed burns versus the smoke from uh, from wildfires that burn into human structures. I mean, that intuitively makes sense to me. But do we, what do we know about the science of that?
1: Well, Jan, it's absolutely right, and that that is backed up by the science, and it kind of intuitively makes sense. A prescribed burn is burning uh, vegetation, and that is that is just cleaner than. Out of control, catastrophic wildfires like we saw in the Tubbs fire that is burning homes, cars, infrastructure, and all of the nasty materials that is in there. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Janet's absolutely right on that.
2: Got it. And Michael Wara, um, just to respond to Janet's other point about... Sort of the land ownership and the way that that complicates our efforts to do wildfire mitigation. Um, what are there really policy uh, fixes there, or do we just have to deal with? You know, if you want to do a prescribed burn across a certain area, you're going to have to deal with many, many, many different landowners.
4: Well, I think you know when we get so one thing is yes, right, and, and but but ideally prescribed burns are done in a patchy way that 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 you know creates a kind of patchwork of fuels environments and ecosystems that that's that's the best for species that want to live there and also reduces the ability of fire to 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 move quickly across the landscape and consume a lot of fuel but in developed areas like santa rosa or where i live in mill valley i think the focus really needs to be on home hardening Mm -hmm. and there's a program that's being piloted this year um, to try to develop a, a kind of home hardening program for the state of california My view is that that needs to be a much larger focus and and I'm I'm hopeful that the program this year will grow substantially next year and following in following years, we need to harden the communities that have been built already. There's a lot of talk about oh should we build new things and risk in high risk areas, but the reality is we've already built a lot of homes in California in places that are dangerous, and we're not managing the fuels at all in those places or, or, or in a totally inadequate way. And so we need to be reducing fuels around homes. We also need to be hardening the homes so they're less likely to ignite. The evidence from the last several years suggests very strongly that the WUI build, the Wildland Urban Interface Building Code, works to reduce the chance of ignition in a wildfire. That was true in, in Santa Rosa. It was also true in Paradise. and. We need to be bringing the older homes up to that standard as much as we can and helping homeowners to afford it, helping homeowners that are on fixed income or, you know, you know, that, that face other financial barriers to, to keeping their homes safe. Because the other thing is that the evidence also suggests that there's a herd immunity that occurs in neighborhoods, right? The fire in Paradise was a, was a house-to-house fire, and the homes that were hardened that didn't ignite provided some protection to adjacent homes because they weren't burning and shedding embers and, and sparks at the nearby houses, if we can create whole neighborhoods of homes that are hardened, communities are much more likely to be able to withstand all but the most catastrophic fires. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a, that's a an investment we should make, for not just for places that burned or have burned, but for the places that haven't, but are struggling to get homeowners coverage uh, right now because of the risks of wildfires.
2: Jim writes, uh, listener, could you please address the effectiveness of thousands of acres of fuel breaks in our natural lands? They don't necessarily work for catastrophic fires. Also, they can be very destructive and open up areas to flashy weed fuels. Even data from the Camp Fire in Paradise demonstrates that many of those who built to newer fire codes or presumably hardened their home to embers saved their homes in that catastrophic fire. So to your To your point about hardening. Um, And a listener tweets, much can be achieved in fire hazard reduction using manual and mechanical treatment that does not have adverse smoke impacts. Please discuss. And to discuss that with us, I want to bring in Ryan from La Honda. Uh, Good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning. So we've used
6: tactics for the past 10 years here in uh, the northern Santa Cruz Mountains. Um, we are in the northern part of the CZU fires from last year and then border, uh, you know, up towards Hackman Bay and uh, in San Mateo County. And some of the projects we've been on, we've used both mechanical and fire um, in both circumstances and then came up with a, a longer-term mitigation plan. Uh, being mechanical with it being mowing, um, mowing and masticators, which is a forestry tool to help break down uh, additional biomass and that or a forest-thinning appropriation is what we call it. So you go into a forest and you effectively take out a certain percentage of trees while retaining your canopies because we are in a lot of uh, wildland area um, with some er uh, interface, but it's to reduce the possibility and to try to keep the canopies out of fire, uh, sorry, excuse me, the fire out of the canopies on the ground so it doesn't physically elevate. Now, there's a circumstance whereby... You can't uh, you can't stop those kind of things because of wind per se but you can the, reduce the force, chance yeah you can reduce the chance and if you keep the, for, the the fire on the forest floor best as possible it reduces the, the spread and the rate of spread
2: um Danielle um, what do we think the role of this sort of manual mechanical fire mitigation techniques are uh, alongside um, some prescribed burns
1: it's super important. It's super valuable. It's it's a great tool, but it's done by hand. And so it's incredibly expensive. It's incredibly labor intensive. For treating across a, a large number of acres on the landscape scale, um, prescribed burns are the most effective tool for doing for doing work on a on a large scale. Um, but hand treatments, you know, t- trimming. Using uh, grazing animals like goats, I mean that's all a very important tool. Um, pers- you know, fuel breaks. Um, like one of the one of the listeners mentioned, they can be effective in some areas. In some areas, they're not effective. I kind of think of some of these safety tools from on the scale of homes and home hardening to uh, you know a little bit larger neighborhood scale things like fuel breaks or fire lanes to to. You know, bigger than that, uh, forest treatments, prescribed burns on the scale of the landscape. I mean, they're just, they're different safety steps. Like in a car, you have seatbelts, you have uh, airbags, you have crumple zones. I mean, all of these things make being in a car safer, but nothing is going to be guaranteed to work all of the time. But they're still worth, it's still worth putting your seatbelt on. It's still worth um. Yeah. doing these fire mitigation steps, even if they're not going to be uh, guaranteed to work 100% of the time.
2: Michael Warr, you mentioned earlier in the conversation the sort of modeling of of wildfire risk and therefore sort of where we'd get the most bang for our buck doing wildfire prevention. Um, how Are those kinds of tools actually being deployed by Cal Fire and the U.S. Forest Service, or is that still mostly aspirational?
4: Well, I think... So far, the, the major investments in modeling that have been done since you know, the, the big push on wildfire began at the beginning of, sort of in, late, in the late part of Governor Brown's term and the beginning of Governor Newsom's term, have focused on operational modeling, like how to keep first responders, firefighters safe, hmm. using better models of fire spread. What we don't have yet, and we're, we're really just beginning to have, are models that would allow planning on like a 30-year timescale, mm-hmm. right? So on the timescale of a mortgage, what are the best, or for a community, what are the best, most cost-effective investments that a community could make to reduce its risk? We have a lot of intuition, kind of like the intuition that I think Ryan was showing. He was clearly a professional firefighter with a lot of experience in the LaHonda area, and he knows the ground and he knows the fuels and, and, and the weather, mm-hmm. and, and so he's making human judgments about that. But what's challenging, you know, is to do that at the state level and to make sure that investments are happening um, appropriately and cost effectively. Thank
2: you. Thank you for that, Michael Wara. We've been talking about what the state's doing to ramp up wildfire prevention efforts with Stanford's Michael Wara and Daniel Venton, reporter here with KQED Science. We'll be back with more Forum after the break.